folks thanks for tuning in the show this is episode 50 which means i'm halfway to 100 and i've kind of been talking in previous shows but i am now taking a break for two months i'll be hitting a strong february 1st or second or something um, and just be putting out shows on a more consistent basis it's going to give me a while to kind of reflect and just put out better content in the near future so thank you everyone here's a here's a great show Um, i'm really happy to actually have this be my 50th show because then i get to end on a high note and i'm going to hopefully come back in on a really high note and take it to even better levels. So thank you to everyone who's been loving and supporting the show. Uh, I couldn't do it without you and you're wonderful people. So thank you, take care, and I hope you have a great couple months. All right, and I'm live and we're live <laughs> with uh, Erica L. Hernandez. How goes it? Good, it's good. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Absolutely, so you just published a book, Evasion. I did. I just published it literally September 2nd of this year. Nice. Props. How was the how was the whole process? The process of writing is a joy. I really enjoy the writing. Really? Uh, the process after yeah. is not <laughs> is not such a joy. No. Um, one of the reasons I went to graduate school was to get away from marketing and retail and mm-hmm. all that sales kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. And so that part I don't enjoy. Well, you have to strike a perfect balance between like repping your own stuff, but also being humble. Right. And that's hard for someone like you. Like you wrote something you're proud of, but you don't want to come off as self-aggrandizing. Like, look Not at, at this. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. And the reason that I wrote the book was to be able to help people, even though it's fiction. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been working most of my adult life, maybe all my adult life, in areas that were helping people. Since the time I was 26, I started working in areas that were helping to, to have the purpose of helping people. And four years ago when my son died, I realized that I could only, as a therapist now, I could only see 20 people a week. Mm. If I really want to be a good therapist and not burn out and be somebody who stops caring because I'm overwhelmed with all the stories I hear. I, totally. I do 20, 22 hours of client face-to-face time a week. and the rest of the time spend doing other parts of the business. And so after he died, I realized that that there were people who wanted help that I could offer and I couldn't give it to them. Mm. So I wanted to find a way to be able to help more people. And I got this push from my spirit guides, if you believe in such things, to to write. Something I'd loved when I was young, and so I started doing it again. And I started with a blog, which I think you had a little bit of experience with, and then I moved on to to writing this book. And And I've written another book which isn't published yet mm. which is completely different yeah. and is nonfiction and I hope to publish that someday That's but exciting. my purpose was to find a way to be able to help more people mm-hmm. um, and so I think of this book evasion which I keep touching and nobody can see me mm-hmm. touch it <laughs> as like a folk tale you know thousands and thousands of years ago people would sit around a fire with their clan and somebody would be the storyteller and that person would tell a story and it'd be entertaining and maybe you would get something from it. There'd be, a, there'd be something to get from it. Totally. Um, a life lesson, perhaps. And so what I tried to do with this book is I tried to weave through it the kinds of things that I try to teach my clients as a therapist. I like it. And so you primarily work as a therapist for people dealing with grief and loss and trauma? or uh-huh. yeah, dep- yeah, grief and loss, trauma. Um, my specialties are bipolar disorder and trauma. Mm. So uh, the grief 
is sort of a natural part of everything. Totally. Everything people deal with includes loss and grief. When somebody finds out they have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, they have grief over, wow, this is the life I thought I was going to lead, and now I have this other life I'm going to lead, and there's something that I've lost in the process of having this diagnosis oftentimes. Yeah. But then when you deal with a loss of a job or a loss of a spouse or... And then the ultimate loss, the loss of a child. Absolutely. And so when I, when I experience something in my own life, I want to work on it hard enough that I get to a place where I can use that experience to be able to help other people mm-hmm. to cope with things that are similarly difficult. Yeah. Is it difficult for you to get into that area? Because I imagine it would bring up a lot of parts of you that, that you kind of don't like to bring up in front of clients. Well, I, when, when clients come to me to work on their grief... I work on my grief enough that I don't need to work on it during the day, usually. I mean, if I'm talking with somebody, more likely somebody that's a friend of mine or something, it might pop up. But I, I deal with it enough in my private time that if it pops up, I can set it aside. Yeah. I so, imagine it, couldn't, it, wouldn't, it wasn't like that for the couple of years following the event, though. You know, it, I about four or five days after my son died, I went back to work. Wow. And... I wasn't primarily dealing with people's grief yet. So it was probably uh, months or a year a, or a year after that people started coming to me. And it's amazing how you, at least for me, and I, I think of this as kind of a spiritual thing, that when I experience something and work through it, then the clients that come to me are people who need help with that. Yeah. You know? It's like... The energetic processes of the world are bringing the people to me that that need me for what I can offer them. Mm-hmm. And so they did start to come to me. And I found that focusing on their grief was a consuming enough that mine sort of naturally got set aside. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it didn't ever come up for me at all, but it was more on the level of compassion for them and their pain mm-hmm. that I sometimes would have tears come to my eyes. It, was, it wasn't me experiencing my pain and my grief, but me experiencing their feelings and their grief. Interesting. Okay. Empathy is a strong thing. It's a strong thing. And on that note, yeah. um, years ago, long before my son ever died, I probably, like many people, had sadness or had a little anxiety or had feelings here and there that I worked on and tried to work through. Yeah. Um, and at one point, um, I was gathering a collection of uh, meditation CDs and tapes. You know, this was before you could stream stuff on the internet, oh, right? Yeah. And so I had, I was developing this library. And at one point, I found a cassette called "On Becoming an Empath," and I thought, well, I'm already an empath. I, I knew I was an empath, um, but I was looking at what was on it, and the tape had um, had guided meditation. I thought, okay, oh, cool. I'm going to take that in my library. Yeah. Um, and at one point, over time, I listened to the whole thing. When I got to the end, there was a track where she talks about clear sentience. Mm, I've never heard of that. Okay, I hadn't either. But you've hear, heard of clairvoyance. Yes. So, you know, knowing what clairvoyance is, the ability to see clearly, mm-hmm. but not necessarily with your eyes, right? The ability to see clearly with like your third eye, things that aren't in front of your face. Yeah. Was clear sentience being able to sense someone else's consciousness? Being able to sense someone else's feelings. Okay, cool. So I discovered over time that I had that that I had that skill, that gift, not always a gift. Yeah. And it explained some things that I had never really understood. I always thought that I was 
that when I put myself in someone else's shoes, I was literally just imagining what it would be like to walk in their shoes. Mm -hmm. But I discovered after listening to that tape that I was not imagining it. I was actually feeling it. So if, if someone comes in, that's got to be taking a toll on you as a therapist. If someone comes in very stressed and stuff, so you, would you get stressed too? To a degree. That's but when I discovered that, I learned skills to step back from it. Oh, nice. So in, in my office, I can step back from it. But I will sometimes between clients, I go walk out of my office and I'll, I may go do a, uh, like a Reiki, which I don't know. Another thing I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with, but we can talk about it. Yeah. Something I'm, I'm a Reiki master as well. Is it like a primal screaming session? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, Reiki is a Reiki is a Japanese energetic um, healing technique. I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> and it's it's actually the basis for um, what Jesus called laying on of hands healing. Mm. Of course, Jesus is a lot better at it than I am. But I imagine. <laughs> Um, but that's what, that's the, and I, my understanding, and I haven't really looked deeply, so I could be wrong, but my understanding is that Jesus went to Japan and learned that, to, that skill. I'm not 100% sure that's right. But in any case, it's, yeah. a, it's a training. And so I can use that also to, to sort of disconnect um, from the energy as well as connect to the energy. It's interesting that you read a book about uh, being an empath, which made you learn how to step away from being an empath rather than become one. <laughs> right, because I already was one. And, yeah. and my mother told stories about me as a kid that made me realize I needed to get a graduate degree in social work, yeah. that I needed to be a therapist. And the stories were things that I didn't remember, but that told me I had some kind of skill that I couldn't explain. That's so interesting. Do you think parents can impress that upon kids? In, a, in an ingenuine way, like if you really want your kid to be a firefighter or whatever you want them to be, do you could be like, oh my gosh, you've always been playing with fire trucks and stuff to kind of put it in the kid's head, even if it's not necessarily true. Kids are very mm. empathetic. They're very receptive. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've heard much more commonly the opposite than, you know, when parents kind of try to push things on kids. My experience is that they normally back away from it. And my mother wasn't trying to do that. I was at the point of trying to decide what graduate school I wanted to go to. Mm. And she simply shared a story with me that when I was about three years old, they had taken me with them to some friends of theirs for dinner. And I don't think that they were close friends. I think like they might have been colleagues of my dad. He was a professor. So people that maybe they hadn't gotten together with socially before and my sisters and everyone were somewhere else and I went with them and, and they said that I was always a kid with a ton of energy and they had to keep me moving otherwise I wouldn't go to sleep and I didn't take naps, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so she expected me to struggle to sit still in, at these people's houses and um, she said when I got there I just walked right in and sat on the couch with their kid and read stories to their kid all night long. I don't know if I read because I was three. I mean, yeah. I could read a little bit. Maybe I just looked at books with them all night or sang songs. I don't know. Really, yeah. I really don't remember it. But it turns out the kid had polio and couldn't get up and run and jump and play. Wow. And I had, they'd never talked to me about it. They'd never told me anything about it. And I simply walked in and just appeared to know. That's an interesting thing. Well, it's yeah. so weird because you're definitely not conscious at that age. But do you think that pe right. a lot of people say, like, kids are closer to God? Like, when you're around kids, you can just tell that they don't have society's mm -hmm. uh, lenses clouding their judgment. And I stuff. completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. My second son, when he was three years old, turned towards me. He was walking away from me down the hall and turned towards me. And, he, and I was living at the time as an atheist. Oh, my, and now you're Christian or I'm not Christian. I'm spiritual. Cool. I completely believe in a spirit world. But at the time, I was living with a, a man. I was married to a man who was an atheist. And so I was kind of 
adjusting to not, I, I was still, I had been exploring and at that point I was going through a period of going, no, there is no God at all. Wow. And he turned to me at three years old and he wasn't like three and a half or almost four, he was just like barely three. And he said, there is a God. And at the time I just, <laughs> just brushed it off like that was weird, you know? Yeah. But looking back, I don't see that as being a three-year-old talking. I see oh. that as being a spirit talking through my son, mm -hmm. trying to get me to realize that I was on the wrong track. Yeah, and then so mm -hmm. that shifted you into which kind of spirituality, like Hindu or? That didn't shift me. Ooh. I brushed it off. Brushed it off. Yeah. But when it came back to kind of grip you. Yeah, well, I, my, culture, my cultural background is Jewish, mm. so I feel culturally Jewish. I relate to Jewish people. I act like a Jewish person in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but my spiritual, cool. I don't, you couldn't put it in a box. It's more nice. alternative. Um, I never really knew how to define it until I read Neil Donald Walsh. I don't know if you've heard of him. I he's haven't. from Ashland. He's a fairly local guy. And he's written a series of books called Conversations with God. Oh, cool. And in reading his books, I just kept going, ah, oh, yeah, that's it. That's exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's it. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. every time I, was introduced to a religion that you know fits into a box like you could call it you know whatever christian or catholic or jewish or mm -hmm. this or that or the other thing there are always things about it that i just didn't buy yeah you know i absolutely. just i couldn't buy all the things they said so but so do you, are you kind of in the the development of forming your own uh, spiritual beliefs that aren't necessarily 100 percent congruent with anyone else's or do you do you heavily kind of have a group of people that all believe a similar thing I find that I have friends that believe a similar thing. And what, is it, it, what do you believe? Cause and so, I mean, and, and it doesn't matter whether they're Catholic or Christian oh, or nice. like my husband's Catholic and my best friend is Catholic. Nice. And I have friends that are Jewish and friends that are Christian and friends that are atheist. And, um, and it doesn't really matter. So, I mean, my, my perspective is that religions are like a language. Ooh. Okay. So every country has it. its own language. Yep. And every, maybe every country has its own religion, although ours is kind of a jumble. Yeah. Um, and those religions are just their language. It's just how they talk about God. It's yeah. how they talk about the spirit world. And so it doesn't matter what language you speak, they all get to the same place, mm -hmm. whether it's Buddhist or Hindu or Christian or Catholic or, yeah. or Jewish or any other. Well, Buddhists, God is just like the base layer of the universe is consciousness which is kind of what I most closely ascribe to yeah. next to a lot of Krishna Hindu. Yeah. Um, but I, but that, would you consider that God then in a way? Yes. God is just consciousness. Absolutely. It's why you're here. God is love. God is life. God is consciousness. God is just a word people use to describe something. They don't have a better word to describe. And do you still use the word God though? Do you think it's, I think it's kind of a dirty term at this point where if you say it, uh -huh. it people assume it's Christian God. Right. I use it with my husband. You do? Because he's Catholic. Mm, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, make relatable. And so yeah. what, what would you say to someone who's also alternatively spiritual? Spirit world. Spirit world. Yeah. I like you it. You know, or the consciousness or the yeah. one. I mean, there are a lot of, in, in, I mean, you read a little bit of my blog, so you've probably seen me use a variety of different words. Yeah. The one, the all, the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of words and they're, they're all, from my perspective, talking about the same thing. I like it. And one of the most powerful things from the, whatever that spiritual belief may actually be, is manifesting. I see that you wrote a couple of blogs about that. Absolutely. What are your beliefs on it? I believe it's something you can do and it's not always easy. Um, so it, so, so from my perspective, when, when you're developing and growing, you may start with um, as a young person, you might, you, you might not if you're, if you're fortunate, but you might start with a fair amount of negative thoughts, Ooh, okay. you know, mm -hmm. and 
as you work on your, your mental health, you begin to learn how to have more positive thoughts and fewer negative thoughts. Absolutely. And after you begin to develop having more positive thoughts, then you can move into having manifestation thoughts. I like it. And so it's, I think of it as like a continuation of thinking from the most negative to the most positive. Mm -hmm. And the most positive is manifesting your heart's desire. So do you think everything in our lives is from our manifestations? Like if, mm -hmm. if, if I got mm -hmm. a form of cancer or something, mm -hmm. would you think I'm manifesting? I know you've written a blog about that. So I'm kind of... Yeah, no, I don't. So um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I believe that we sometimes choose things before we're born. Mm. So I don't believe that I manifested my son's death. That'd be a hard thing to come that to grips with. That would be a pretty with. horrible thing. Yeah. But, I, but I believe that his soul and my soul sat down together before we, either one of us were born and decided that it would be a helpful thing to, probably to me, not to him, mm -hmm. um, for me to experience to help me develop as a more spiritual being. Help other people. So you think you're different souls? Because my belief with the whole universal consciousness thing is that everyone is the same, more or less, watcher behind their thoughts, behind their actual That we're all one. World. Yeah. Absolutely. So in that sense, if you're meeting with his soul, wouldn't you be meeting with yourself? Essentially, yeah. That, I mean, one of, one of my blogs talked about God as an apple, as an apple, oh, the metaphor okay. of an apple. Yeah. So you can have one apple or you can cut it into slices and then you have a slice of an apple. Mm. And so that's kind of how I think about it. We're all one soul, but you can also cut us into pieces and we can be pieces, slices of soul. Yeah. And so you're, a, you're, a, you're the Tyler, tiger slice yeah. of soul and I'm yeah. the Erica slice of soul. Mm -hmm. And so here on earth, it's like we're different souls, but we're also part of the same soul. Mm. And so from that perspective, when my son died, he went back and became part of the whole God soul, which yeah. we're all part of. Mm -hmm. All the time. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting talking about this. A lot of people will be like, that's woo-woo, or it's trite to even ask oh, about why yeah. we're here, why are we conscious, mm -hmm. why are we aware of pain and pleasure, mm -hmm. you know? But then it, it's, it's interesting that a lot of people will cut off a conversation about that. When it's like the most innate thing to being alive mm -hmm. is experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I enjoy those. I'm definitely, I would definitely say I'm woo-woo. And <laughs> I think people would say that Reiki is woo-woo and... Um, some of the, the techniques that I like to use in my practice as a therapist are energetic, nice. like the emotional freedom technique as an example. And I, I completely believe in Asian medicine and cool. acupuncture and acupressure and yeah. well, some of those energetic so I, tools. I, some believe in more in some of those and some, uh, some more and less, but the, the whole bottom of it is you can't deny that if you meditate or if you do something like Qigong, mm -hmm. you feel better afterwards. And scientifically, they've proven that you're less stressed, your telomeres do better. Like, Absolutely. So it's like, you can try to deny the woo-woo, but at some extent you have to be like, it's maybe a little bit, I don't know if necessarily anyone's correct on why it's true, but it's mm -hmm. true. That just kind of right. looking within yourself right. helps. You can, you can deny it as much as you want. Yeah. But once we, what, <laughs> I want to put this around my hands. Once we experience it, it's then becomes hard to deny, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And, and so you said you liked writing the book, or you loved writing. Mm -hmm. I personally, I enjoy writing, but editing I can't do. I actually didn't edit either of the, the, the pieces of uh, work that I put out. Mm -hmm. um, do you enjoy the editing part too? Um, not as much, yeah. definitely not as much. Um, and so it's something that I, it's easier to edit fiction than it is to edit nonfiction, I yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't 
I don't mind the editing. I don't love the editing. Yeah. Um, and I really welcome help from people who, cool. nice. you know, who want to contribute and say, hey, yeah, I'll read it and tell you what nice. my experience when I was writing Evasion, mm-hmm. which um, I should mention there's going to be a launch party for Ooh. Evasion at Tsunami Books on December 15th from 4 to 6. And Awesome. You know, 2019 I'm, for anyone listening to this in 10 yes, years. Two, you missed right, it. Right, right. You missed it. Right. 2019. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I'll um, put a description or a, a link to that in the description just so everyone um, knows. That, and your emails if this, if anyone wants to help with your next book or anything like right, that. Right. Right. That would be also yeah. welcome. I like it. The, the reason I asked about editing in particular mm-hmm. is because writing does feel a lot like just channeling whatever that universal energy is mm-hmm. into uh, some creative endeavor that your Absolutely. entire life's work and knowledge has helped make. Mm-hmm. But editing just feels like this blocky, I don't know, I can't quite ever get into editing. Like editing takes energy away from me so much. Right. right. Yeah. I don't know that it always feels like that to me. Mm, nice. Um, when I, when I was editing Evasion, I would periodically get to a place in the book where I'd feel like, what now? Mm-hmm. And so I'd go back and read the book. Oh, cool. And as I read the book, I'd edit it. I'd read a sentence and go, oh, that's kind of chunky. That's kind of yeah. clunky. And I'd change it. So I imagine the first paragraphs were very good because you've edited it a hundred <laughs> times. <laughs> well, that's possible. Yeah. Um, that's possible. But in any case, they, they were, it, it was a process of going through and, and changing. And so it didn't always feel bad to edit. Sometimes it felt like, ah, that's better. Oh, that's yeah. better. Oh, nice. yeah, that's a better way to do this. I like it. It yeah. does feel good. I just haven't edited it, so I haven't gotten that into it. Yeah. Uh, I just grammar and stuff. But like, I feel so bad cutting out a part because I'm like, I'm sure there was a reason I put that part in there. <laughs> You know, it's nonsense. But anyways, so a topic that I've been really excited about talking with a therapist, because a lot of my listeners have known, and we briefly talked about it off air, because I was like, are you okay talking about this? Yeah, right. Is, and just for a recap for any of my listeners, I've been moderately outspoken against therapy. And the main reason for that is because I believe the therapist's life should be more known. If you go to couples therapy, you should know if the person you're going to has had three divorces. If you're, if you're going for um, chronic depression, you should know if the person you're going to still has depression and takes SROs. And you can still choose to go with them. Like if you're with your couple and you say, oh, I'm sure he's learned a lot from the divorces, mm-hmm. you can still choose to go to that person. But you can also choose to not because I think respect is a big part of therapy. Absolutely. Um, but and then I think a lot of people mistake that. What are, what are your thoughts on, on therapy? Yeah. So, I mean, I shared a little bit with you at the beginning that most of us and perhaps all of us, and I, I, I say most of us because I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So my, my master's degree is in social work, and then I got licensed after that. And there are lots of different master's degrees in different kinds of counseling. There's marriage and family therapists, and there's psychologists, and there's um, counselors and so the, the different words are maybe different graduate degrees that you can get so mm-hmm. I can't really say all of us but my impression is that we're all trained not to talk about ourselves in therapy not to touch our clients yeah. um, and and the issues that I understand were explained is that there's a few pieces of it one is when a client comes to me, they or their insurance are paying me for my time to help yeah. them. Yep. And if I talk about my own stuff, I'm taking their time. Totally. And sometimes the client will feel like I'm using them as my therapist. Not me, because I don't think I've done that, but I've heard that from other people. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the problems with it. Another problem with it is it, it can become something we call a dual relationship, which is strictly mm. prohibited in our code of ethics. So 
we like doctors have a code of ethics that we're required to practice by and they're not all laws so there are laws that we yeah. have to adhere to and they're also our code of ethics and the code of ethics is kind of like the doctors I will do no harm yeah and so there's the risk if I share anything about my personal life that it might do harm to my client that it might um, make them feel responsible for me mm -hmm. um, it might uh, make them concerned for me. It might make them feel more anxious or more depressed or any of those things. So those are the two biggest things that I think are part of the education that we learn not to talk about ourselves. Yeah. And, and the oldest kind of therapy is the Freudian. And in the Freudian, mm -hmm. the therapist doesn't, as I understand it, and I don't do that kind of therapy, so I may be saying this wrong, mm -hmm. but my understanding is the Freudian therapist doesn't even talk. Oh. They're just a mirror. Huh. Which I don't personally think that I would find that very helpful. No. And it tends to be a kind of therapy that takes a really long time. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's kind of like people are just getting to the whatever they get to on They're their awesome. own. And that's yeah. kind of another reason I'm, I'm therapy is a thing for me because I think at the end of therapy, a lot of people could come to, like maybe it would take them 20 years to mm -hmm. realize it. But I think at the end of the day, therapy is good because it's like someone else telling you it's okay to have these thoughts. Like if you, if you tried to kill yourself or something, you'd be like, I'm thinking of doing it again. You'd just be like, why? Like, but mm -hmm. people stop themselves from going down that road because society mm -hmm. said, oh, you can't think about suicide or mm -hmm. any bad thing. Right. But if you don't think about it to the end and think, oh, well, I don't want to kill myself because I have people that love me and because mm -hmm. I like life. Mm -hmm. Then you all get caught up on, do I want to kill myself? Do I want to kill myself? Like you keep hitting this wall. I think therapy is like someone saying, no, it's okay to have these thoughts. It's okay to have these thoughts. Let's get to the end. Yeah. So. There, and there are lots of different kinds of therapy. And, and the mm -hmm. kinds of therapy that I do are varied. And I could share all the different theories that I, that I use in my work. But... Um, but I do, I want people to feel comfortable talking about anything. And if a client wants to know something about me, um, what, what we're taught to do is to ask, how would knowing that about me help you? And so if a client really feels that knowing that is going to help them feel more comfortable, like if you, and I, I wouldn't be able to now, but before we ever did this, if you called me and said, you know, um, I'm looking for a, a marriage counselor mm -hmm. and, um, and I might say, well, yeah, you know, this is the kind of work I do, and does that sound interesting? And you might say, well, I really want to know more about your marital history. Yeah. I might say, you know, would you mind coming in for one or two appointments? And so we can talk a little bit more before we get into that and see if, um, if it really feels like it's going to be the thing that helps you. And then we might sit down. I'd have to do the assessment because we have to do an assessment to get some kind of a diagnosis to bill an insurance company if the insurance is involved. Yeah. And then I might ask you to talk about, like, how would knowing about mine, and then you might say what you just said. Yeah. And I might go, no, that's, that's reasonable. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I could say, yeah, I have been divorced before. Mm -hmm. and, and I could still choose to go to you. If I've yeah. been divorced, I'm like, I get it. Yeah. But if I've never been divorced and I have some ideal, like, ideology of, like, oh, divorces, um, against God or whatever, right. for whatever reason, right. I'd be like, hey, I can't go with you. you right, know? right. And I've had but, clients find out that I'm not Christian and mm -hmm. decide they can't work Whoa. with me. Whoa. I, I get it. I get you that. Know? And yeah. it's like, okay. But, you know? but here's the thing. That's okay. And it would be an incredible breach of privacy, but I think um, at least some therapists should take it on. It is like they should be on their thing, like currently taking SSRIs or like antidepressants of mm -hmm. some sort, antipsychotics, um, you know, like, like some mm -hmm. things. Like if you went to a physical therapist mm -hmm. and they've had chronic knee pain for 10 years and you're going to get rid of knee pain that you just started, right. would you want to go to them? Right. No. Mm, not necessarily. <laughs> you right. know? Right. So I think mm -hmm. that should be mm -hmm. in the realm of knowledge because if someone mm -hmm. can't help themselves, it's mm -hmm. like, do you take advice from someone who doesn't take their own advice? 
I wouldn't pr- really want to. I wouldn't prioritize yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't either. And and again, that that wouldn't be considered appropriate for us to do, mm-hmm. um, because some people don't want to know. Some people don't want to know. Interesting. Some people are not comfortable knowing that their therapists have this, that, or the other thing that's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Um, and. The other thing is that it's possible, for example, if you went to a therapist who was, was dealing with depression and perhaps they actually have gone through and they've done all kinds of meditation, they've done all kinds of CBT training and they've done all kinds of exercise and they've done all kinds of working on their diet and for some reason, for some reason, none of those things completely get rid of it and they need to take antidepressants mm-hmm. in addition. Um, that would be a lot to, find, to learn about all yeah. that stuff about your therapist totally. and that would take a lot of your time to know yeah. all that stuff mm-hmm. and so the assumption i guess that we work on is that if we're acting as a therapist that we have dealt with us our stuff mm, nice. effectively yeah has anyone are, though i think everyone's lifelong in a lifelong progression of working with their stuff absolutely true um but to be part of our ethics part of our code of ethics mm-hmm. is that if we're not effectively dealing with it we're not working as a therapist. Nice. That we, t- we would take time from the work off yeah. and go do it. Cool. In, just like you, just like a woman might take time off to have a baby mm-hmm. and take care of her children. Mm. Take um, time off to work through your own things. Absolutely. That'd be a lot. Do you ever have to take, I mean, I imagine being a therapist would be very mentally taxing, especially as an empath. And I want to mm-hmm. talk about empathy in a mm-hmm. minute, but mm-hmm. do you enjoy being a therapist? Do you think you'll do it till the end of your days? Or I do. I enjoy it very much. Nice. It's amazing to watch people get better. And that's why I've chosen to write. Like, I chose to write to be able to help more people. Mm-hmm. Both my blog and my book are about being able to help more people. Um, w- one person recommended I answer questions on Quora. And huh. that can be also very taxing and yeah. a lot of work. Um, but again, I do it to be able to help more people. Yeah, or and Reddit, if you've ever heard of Reddit. I have heard of Reddit, and somehow I haven't gotten into reddit it's like a core that like everyone uses okay it's tight okay Um, i might have to try reddit yeah (laughs) yeah more i i I did at one point just like sign up for it or something like that but somehow it didn't but you want to do it because i've said this on the show a million times at the end of the day it feels good to do good exactly and that's yeah, yeah, that's why you do any of this. But isn't that a funny thing that people always say like, oh, you can't be selfish with like, if you give money to a homeless person or whatever you're doing, that's good mm-hmm. for your own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Then it's, it takes away from it. But like no one ever does anything purely for it. Like even if you're choosing to help someone, mm-hmm. you know, it's like even if we have our belief where that's mm-hmm. another manifestation of you, mm-hmm. then you're helping yourself. Right, right. You it's, know, yeah, it's, I don't think we should demonize no, pleasures that the no. Protestant or whatever it is that pleasure is bad. I, yeah, I completely agree that pleasure is a good thing. It's a good and, thing. And that it's not a bad thing to feel like you, you get something out yourself out of helping other people. Yeah. yeah, because that's like the most innate thing that makes us human is that's why we're not other animals that are all just fending from themselves. Like we banded together mm-hmm. and I help feed you when you're hungry and then you help feed me when I'm hungry. Right. And that's how we survive. Right, exactly. We should cherish that. Yeah, is helping each other. And, and so I, I enjoy in Eugene participating in communities that help each other. Um, I mean, I, pr- I participate in the Growers Market community, which is a mm. very hippie, hippie community. In Eugene? In Eugene. A growers <laughs> really, market? Really, <laughs> how about that? Yeah. Um, but they're really people that like help each other. People, they shop there and they buy their food there, but if they have extra, they bring it there. Nice. And so there's always a tray, there's always a table of like free stuff. You know, like I, I got a whole bunch of bay leaves there mm, once that somebody nice. just brought in a bunch of bay leaves and left it on the free table. That's really nice. And so it's it's a it's a neat community. And and my kids go to the village school, which is um, uh, 
kind of it's a charter school takeoff from um, the Waldorf School. Oh, cool. Um, and and it's a very it's a school oriented towards kids learning um, handwork and art and music and kind of like a Montessori where you get to do what you do and you just get good at whatever skill. That's that is more Montessori, but what the Waldorf School, which is private and you pay for it, um, teaches lots of levels of art. Oh, cool. cool. And so strictly, like more, more of that. Like Montessori he, allows you to do art rather than just arithmetic, but this is more focused he, on perhaps. art. Perhaps. So it, and, and we, we didn't get into the village school in the beginning, but in the village school they learn to sew and they learn to cro- maybe crochet or knit and they, they learn to draw and when they do a writing assignment it might have like artistic drawing around the edge so it has a beautiful presentation, not just the nice. words themselves and and they're all in choir to a certain point and then they learn guitar and they learn marimba nice. and so there's a lot more music and every kid is on stage oh, every wow. kid well, presents in front of the class and my kids are incredibly shy or at least they were growing up yeah. and it brought them out so it's not terrifying now yeah. to have to talk in front of a group i think that's an important thing so, yeah school does not teach the right things it teaches memorization of facts and there's yeah. that whole thing that came out like the half-life of facts or the half-life of science <laughs> right. where every seven or nine years or something like half of everything you know is fake like oh yeah. sugar's good fats are bad no fats are good sugar's bad right, like, right. like, like, right. like right. there's no sense in using it i think it's a good thing to learn arts and crafts but i think what we should really be teaching kids maybe there's a school for this is uh, like theories of mind, like how to think, how to learn, yeah. like, like the best, like how to not judge something that you don't know, mm-hmm. so you're more receptive to learning it quickly. Yeah, and I think Village School does more of it that. It does. Cool. I think they do. I think they do more of that. And and you can see, which nobody else can, that there are some things in front of me that I said were things that are in the they book will, evasion. They will in the picture. They will, oh, that's right. They will in the yeah, picture. So it'll so, be on uh, talkswithtiger.com. Uh, sure. So you can see that there's um, a jar of liquid here, which is salsa nice. that I make. It's, I can all kinds of things for my garden, and that's stuff that happens in the book. And, and there's a jar here of tea that I've mixed the herbs together myself and, and made this tea, which is actually a, a tea that's good to help, help immune system when you have a cold. I like it. Was so, it cathartic writing this, knowing that it's so based in your own life? Yeah, probably. I mean, I didn't think about <laughs> that. You know, I didn't think about that when I was writing it. My, I was writing this story and thinking about, um, you know, how might, if the world was going to end, what might be. I'd read some books because I have a friend who writes zombie apocalypse books. And I was like, come on, we're not going to end with zombies. How might it actually, if it were really going to end, how might it actually end? And so I wanted to write a, a fiction book that was realistic, mm, not nice so fictiony mm-hmm. but it, but then i also wanted to weave through things that could help people because as i read other um apocalyptic books i felt like there were things missing and there's actually something that's not in the picture i didn't get everything out of the pockets of my the recesses of my bag um so i, I put one more thing here on the table and this is a, a recycled um a recycled nail polish remover container but what's inside it is uh comfrey cannabis salve and so mm. I make comfrey salve and I make comfrey cannabis salve and it's to help. THC or CBD? 
uh, mostly CBD, but it has to have a little THC in it, I think. Yeah. But it it isn't for the purpose of getting high. It's for the purpose of um, getting healing. Getting your joints high. Well, <laughs> getting, yeah, getting your joints relieved from pain. And comfrey actually is an anti-inflammatory, but it has something in it right. called allantoin, mm. which makes cells grow back. It rejuvenates cells. Nice. And there's placebo-controlled research online about comfrey. And so it's something that helps bones heal. It means knit bone in Latin or something like that, merge mm-hmm. bone. or, And it helps... Muscles grow back, tendons grow back. Do you think pain's a manifestation? Because I actually do, even do th- possibly of boredom. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a way to focus your mind, and if you're not doing anything, I think you, your body finds I something pain, for you to focus on. pain is a way for your body to, not all pain. <laughs> to store feelings that aren't getting processed. Ooh. So that's kind of like manifesting it. Um, boredom, I don't believe, is actually a thing. You don't? It's just an inability to focus or what? No, boredom is actually, clinically, the term is anhedonia, and it's a core mood symptom of depression. So if someone's... Lack of pleasure from anything. Lack of, yeah, lack of pleasure, lack of motivation, lack of interest, Mm -hmm. and that's boredom. Interesting. And and laziness also, Mm -hmm. I think, is not a thing. I don't think it really exists. Laziness is a layman's term, a a nasty way of saying somebody is experiencing symptoms of depression Mm -hmm. and struggling to motivate themselves to get up and do something. Yeah, it's a nasty thing that we demonize the people who need help the most. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, I mean, for my personal beliefs, I I don't believe in free will necessarily. Mm -hmm. And that comes, I mean, like if you were, if you were raised by an abusive mother Mm -hmm. who beat your, like beat your husband and beat you, Mm -hmm. and then you raised up and you had some tendencies in you that you would occasionally do it. Like Mm -hmm. maybe you were a lot better, but like, how could I blame you if for Mm -hmm. 18 years you were brainwashed to be manipulative and beat people? Right. Right. At what point does nature or nurture, doesn't matter. They're both out of your control and forms who you are. Mm -hmm. So then at what point can you really start blaming someone for the decisions they're making when their entire processing system has been formed from someone else? I agree. I don't think we should have jails or prisons. Ooh, Mm -hmm. Ooh. that's a bold take. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what would we do with clearly bad actors in society who wish ill harm on the others. Well, so one, one example of the, that is a pedophile. Yeah, sure. And so if you, the research shows that if you take somebody who has offended once mm-hmm. and you put them, and you don't put them in prison and you put them you in treatment. just castrate them. No, okay, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm so sorry. <laughs> They'll never do it again. <laughs> right. Um, well, that's that's not the only way to hurt somebody. So yeah. that wouldn't that, oh, that probably wouldn't help. That probably wouldn't help. In fact, it might make them worse. Uh. Um, so if you put them in jail, they learn more techniques to hurt people. Uh. And if you put them in treatment, mm-hmm. they can learn how not to hurt people. And, Interesting. Um, probably everybody who's ever hurt somebody has been hurt themselves. And so if you help, unless them, they're wired wrong. Well, Unless they just had a TBI or something, they're wired wrong. But at that point, okay, you still but, can't blame them. Well, no, if it's a TBI, they've still been hurt. Oh. Because that's a traumatic brain injury. I never injury. thought of that. Yeah. So they still got hurt. Yeah, absolutely. So Good point. I don't believe, I mean, there are people that believe that babies are born evil. I completely don't believe that. I think <laughs> every baby is born an angel and they're, every baby is born completely wonderful and, and perfect. And there's nothing, you know, if they were raised with love and they would they would grow up to be loving beings mm-hmm. but if they're raised with hurt they sometimes can grow up and hurt others mm-hmm. and so if you work with and I did in graduate school I worked um, with a Lane County sex offender treatment program and every person I worked with who had hurt other people had been abused as a child every single one and perhaps in every case it was my understanding at least that they acted out when they were depressed or anxious. Oh, so it was the acting out was a way to get them out of their depression. Yeah. 
That's an interesting thing, and I've thought about it a lot. I haven't talked about it on the show because YouTube just went through a big scandal thing where they had to remove a lot of videos and demonetize stuff and mm. get rid of content because there, there's a lot of <laughs> pedophilia going on on mm. YouTube. Mm. If you'd look up cheerleading women, like within two clicks, it'd be six-year-olds, and in, in, uh, in people were commenting, and I'm like, Ooh, why crazy. would they remove the videos when they just know, immediately know all the IP addresses of a lot of people who clearly need to be looked into? Right. Which is a weird thing. But then I thought about it. I'm like, okay, well, how is society currently treating pedophilia, which is, yeah, for some sick reason a thing? And I'm like, you know what they should do? They should make talking about it super, like, you won't get into any trouble. You should absolutely be promoted to do it. So you go to get help from someone. Mm -hmm. But then any actions treated so severely mm -hmm. so then people like you're whatever 18 and you're having thoughts like why am i attracted to this little kid you'd be mm -hmm. like oh wait maybe i was molested as a kid and i blocked it out or right. maybe i am just wired wrong in some mm -hmm. i know you don't believe that but something no, for no, some reason but i had i had a client at one point who came to me and talked to me about Oof. being excited by changing diapers and and we talked about it and we figured out that she was assaulted as a <sighs> small person in diapers yeah. and um, it should be promoted because then that can happen. And she worked through it. And yeah. it wasn't by a parent. It was by a child care provider. But mm -hmm. she worked through it. And I, I don't think she has ever hurt a child. Nice. She That's the important part. It, That's the important right? part. And she was able to talk about it. Um, but it's so demonized that I think a lot of people feel like they can't. Like 18-year-olds who are starting to do this way probably hide it away until it gets worse. Right, right. That's the That's wrong way. That's quite possible. Yeah. And in, in effective programs, um, the person who is in treatment in a sex offender treatment program, they have to keep a little pad of paper in their pocket and they have to write down every time they see a child. Wow. Every single time. And they're not allowed to go to stores during like before school hours or after school hours. They're not allowed to go to ice skating rinks or roller skating rinks or places that attract. They're not allowed to go to parks. They're this not is a sex offender or someone who has these thoughts? This is someone who has been convicted. Oh, yeah. Who has, yeah. yeah. Not someone who has the thoughts. And, and so they, they have to keep track and avoid these situations. And intermittently, they are subjected to a lie detector test. And if they fail it twice, I think they go back to prison. Wow. So they can't lie. They have to go through. And they have to go in their group and they have to say, I'm Joe Blow and these are my offenses. That's, it's like, I'm, I'm Joe Blow and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. But, but so the whole thing about all this is... Nobody would choose to be attracted to kids. Nobody would choose right. to do that. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody wakes up and says, so, "I want to be an yeah. addict today." So for what? Well, I do. No, but for, <laughs> for, but for whatever reason, <laughs> I want to be a sex offender. Yes, I want to have nobody. depression. Yeah, or no I, one does. Right. But I want to be crazy. Right? For whatever nobody. reason, against their will, because mm -hmm. we might not have free will, they mm -hmm. are, mm -hmm. and we punish them for something that the, nobody in the right mind would choose. Absolutely. And that's and a weird system. It is a weird system, and. And over time, as we learn more about what happens in jails, we learn that the way we treat people in jails makes them worse. It's not a rehabilitation system. It's a punishment system. Yeah. And it's a way of making them feel as bad as possible so that when they get out, they're going to be even worse. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've thought about this, and this might be a dark thought, but I think it, I don't, I haven't had anyone else say it, but like, so um, isolation and stuff like that, like putting someone in uh, where they don't get to see anyone else for a horrible crime, like Jeffrey Dahmer or someone, mm -hmm. someone who does something horrible. Um, if we do, if you believe in the whole reincarnation of that, everything, like, I think it's good to maybe have the worst person in the world, just be alone with your own thoughts, come to, come to fruition with it before you pass on. Cause I think more than dying, you're reincarnated. However, it's kind of like a momentum thing. Like your momentum, if it keeps getting worse, like, Oh, just kill him right then. He wouldn't have gotten better. It was, you know, but right. if you're like, all right, you're going to sit and that's the worst torture of all for someone who's that horrible 
is just being might like, might be. Yeah. It's hard to say. Oh, you're right. Well, yeah, one of them. But like, <laughs> not having lived that way, it's hard to say. Yeah. But there's things that we could do in a in a jail setting that would help people get better. We for could, most people. For uh, most people. But well, I mean, perhaps for anyone. Jeffrey we, Dahmer. Horrible, I don't know. Horrible I don't know what people. he's done. But oh, he, he was the person who like ate kids or something or like like, ate them like, like, like as food. dozens or yeah, like horrible, horrible things. Really. Like, well, that's the key is you got to catch them early. Yes. And the research. But shows once they're that, that far, you need a jail. Yeah, you right, need you right, need to remove those people. Right. Well, and they could do things in jail like they could. Like they could feed them good food instead of crappy food. Oh, everyone else, nonviolent crimes and stuff, they should be treated well. They could, they could, they could, they could be, they could have, uh, they could have guided meditations projected into their cells. They could have, there's all kinds of things they could do that might make things better rather than worse. One of the things is like, but what about people who do nonviolent crimes, but they're like monetary crimes, like someone who steal, uh, who's that guy who stole all those old people's money? I don't know. I don't listen to the news. Oh, it was, like it was, no, it was like in the 80s or something. Like he, he would take investments and he'd pay off the other people's investments with it. Um, it was a huge, oh. huge, huge hmm. thing. But yeah. anyways, like people like that are almost worse than violent, some violent offenders. Like they're taking away people worked 40 years mm. and gave them all their money and then they can't retire because of it. Like that's yeah. pretty violent. Yeah. Forcing someone to be homeless. Right, right, right. Which I know is a blog article that you are a lot of yeah. things that you write about is homelessness. Right. What's right. your what's your overall take on it? Well, I think that people that live without permanent shelter are people just like you or me. Yeah. And in many cases, they, you know, they had some unfortunate event happen where they, they couldn't. I, I, work with, I work with clients as a therapist. I work with clients who are on Medicare and Medicaid um, who, if something bad were to happen and somebody weren't to help them, they could end up homeless. I mean, I've had clients oh. that were homeless because they lost their housing and they didn't have somewhere to go. Or I have clients who are technically homeless who lost their housing but did have somewhere to go. So they're they're sleeping on somebody's couch essentially. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the big difference between them and you or me might be that maybe if I had that happen, I would have had parents that would have had enough money to help 100%. me. Uh, but maybe they don't have anybody to help them, or maybe their parents are sicker than they are. Yeah. You know, maybe they were maybe they were raised by somebody who was abusive or assaultive, or looked the other so way they when they were abused go. or assaulted, and and so they don't have anybody that they can go to. Maybe their parents do have money, but their parents are so violent and abusive they can't yeah. they can't go to them for help because they'll be manipulated 100%. in the process. So, but what the media tells mm-hmm. us today, mm-hmm. and what's so easy to believe because mm-hmm. it's an us versus them situation, mm-hmm. that those people are lazy. And they're worthy of not your respect. Right. And let's go back to what I said about laziness, right? Yeah. Yeah, really, <laughs> I don't though. believe that laziness exists. Yeah. And so I, I do respect those people and, and those people. I don't even like saying that. They're, Them. Yeah. Yeah. I, those us. What, I mean, I often will. I, I have done a lot of walking and running. That's one of the ways I take care of myself. And I'll walk, walk or run along the bike path and um I often don't want to stop when I'm going out because I want to get a certain amount of exercise in before I stop. But on the way back, I sometimes will stop and talk to people under the bridge mm. um, and, you know, learn just to learn a little bit about them and like, what do they need? And, you yeah. know, what's what's some small thing that I could do that might be helpful to them? And, you know, maybe if they're there on a regular basis, I can bring them a sleeping bag or I can bring them a tarp or maybe I can bring them a pair of boots or a, uh, or, you know, or a warm hat or a pair of gloves or yeah. there's a there's a gentleman that I talk to pretty often who who I bump into near a store that I go to and, um, you know, I brought him food or brought him detergent or given him some money to wash and dry his blankets because, you know, sleeping outside, their blankets get wet and they get moldy and they and, yeah. you know, they can't even be dry if they they don't have a dry blanket and a dry tarp. So. It's such a big endeavor to overtake. Uh, as a small story, uh, someone moderately close to me just actually killed himself. 
um, in California. He, he bought me a plane ticket down there. He bought me all the gear and the laptop and everything. Wow. Um, I had never met him. I met him off Reddit and he was someone who would go down to the river, help homeless people. He would have homeless people come into his home and he'd give them like hundred dollar bill. Mm-hmm. Just like, hey, maybe go clean up the backyard a little bit. Like he was trying mm-hmm. so hard to help. Mm-hmm. And he'd make videos every day. And it's like, he was a little wow. nutty of a person from society standards. I liked the guy yeah. and he helped me a bunch. And it yeah. was really sad. It was less than a week ago. He mm-hmm. just slid his, um, wow. his arm and his neck at the river and someone found him like two days later. Oh, how horrifying. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So it's, it's that such a beautiful person that, that, would, that chose to invest their time in helping other people. Well, he saw the dark side of everything so often. Yeah. Though, and yeah. that's just a horrible thing to be around, right. you know, right. like police officers, anyone mm-hmm. who has to see that, mm-hmm. I think should be forced or should be heavily encouraged to go see the better side of the world too. Right. And you get to with your therapy, you get to see people get better. I do get to see people to get better. I do hear a lot of the horrible, most horrible, I mean, probably everybody that comes in for therapy has something bad. Not all of them are equally bad, but I hear a lot of the worst sides of the world in that little room. Um, But I make a concerted effort to find the beautiful things in the world. I don't listen to the news because I hear enough of it in my office. And so I, I won't I mean, I get a little tiny bit sometimes because really, I'm, I, I probably get more news from listening to my kids tell me about what they hear. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, from being on a. On but again, their do you hear about the news, or do you just hear whatever the side of the news they listen to? Because I have recently listened to uh, pro-Trump, anti-Trump stuff, pro, like left wing, right wing, and I'm like, honest to God, I'm right in the middle. Both sides are saying nutty ass stuff. Mm-hmm. Where it's yeah. like, like, mostly I just don't listen to the news. I get yeah, a little tiny bit. I get like. Four minutes in the morning on my way to work. <laughs> that's a long way. Because my because my daughter wants to listen to it and yeah. and I would rather she listen to it with me mm. so I can talk to her about it than have her listen to it by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I get it from my clients. I get it from my friends. I get it from my husband. I get everybody else's perspective. Yeah. I don't get my perspective until it's time to vote. Nice. And then I do research because I want to make sure I'm voting for what feels right to me. Not that us in Oregon votes matter for the primary, whoever the Democratic nomination is already picked before us. So it's a pretty and, and then the overall, we definitely don't matter in the. Uh, well, not it, when the Electoral College chooses the other no. person. <laughs> Our votes don't matter, especially in Oregon. If we are in Iowa or one of those states, yeah, it might matter that we do our diligence. But OK, so then now you have to be yeah. careful because. To say that also implies that the energy of putting your energy out there doesn't make any difference. And it ah, does make a difference to the greater consciousness. Interesting. So, so here's me putting my energy out. I, I put energy out of telling other people how to vote. I'm kidding. I vote people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've regretted when I voted in 2016, I regretted who I voted for mm. um, because I'd bought into propaganda. Mm. And uh, it was for Hillary. I wouldn't mm. have voted for either one <laughs> going back. Mm. But I'm like putting any mm. of that energy out there. But it's still better to vote for somebody than to vote for nobody. <sighs> but I was bought. I was I bought into propaganda. And I that, voted for the person who paid for more propaganda in my area. Is that really uh, worth okay. voting for? But would it, be, would it have been better to vote for, vote for Trump? Or nobody. I just it's don't want to put that energy out. It's always better to you vote think? for somebody. Because you're putting your energy out there. You're putting your energy out there at least to say that... that that I want to have a choice, even if yeah. even if all your vote means is, I want to speak my truth in the moment. Even if later you go, mm. oh, crap, man, that was the wrong thing. But, but what, at if, least what if my moment. truth's neither? What if it's Hitler versus Stalin? You don't want to vote for either one of them. Uh, <laughs> you well, know? hopefully we wouldn't have that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, um, there are some messy situations yeah. in, in in the world going on. Yeah. Um, to to get away from politics, mm-hmm. I often fall into that trap too often. Yeah. Do you think? Um, that there's a difference. Are you a better therapist to men or to women, or is it equal? I guess you'd have to ask my clients. Um, 
my since my primary specialty <coughs> is working with people with bipolar disorder and trauma, and the research says that um, bipolar disorder hits men and women equally. Oh, really? And I'm not sure about trauma, so I'm not going to even I'm not sure about the statistics at the moment, so I'm not going to speak mm-hmm. speak to them. Um, I've had both men and women tell me that that I was the best therapist they ever. Nice. They ever That's got to feel good to hear. <laughs> um, that you know that they couldn't get the help they needed somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Eugene, I'm one of two people who specializes in bipolar wow. disorder, and I'm the only one that specializes in it for teens. Oh, cool. So, if I wasn't good for men and women, then where where would those men go? Good point. Um, and the other the other thing is that if you were to if you were to measure all the therapists, all the psychotherapists, social workers, marriage and family, all of them, and count how many of them are men, mm-hmm. there are not that many. Yeah. It's, a, it's a field that attracts women. Interesting. Um, because do you, I, I believe women do connect better with each other. And men just, work, I mean, that's why guy, at Google there was like a huge influx of guy coders and they're like, we need to make a change to this. Yeah. Because guys will be okay spending 80 hours staring at a computer screen writing yeah. code, whereas mm-hmm. I think there is an innate difference right. where women want to connect. Yeah. You know? yeah. Not that one's better. I think, honestly, the connecting is better. Right, you right, know? right. And so it's, so statistically women communicate better and statistically women are what more able to connect to feelings that might just be because we're taught that. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, is it, is it uh, culturally ingrained or... Uh, taught taught yeah probably is taught. it a social construct that women are supposed to be better at uh, i suspect so yeah i think it's also kind of innate though it it could be and it, it depends on the man i mean i've raised i've raised five children four of which were boys Whoa. and what i've seen is that some of them especially the boy i've only raised one girl so mm-hmm. i can't speak as much about that yeah. although i am a girl uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but of those four boys um the two, two of them, I, three of them I raised from babies. Nice. Three of them. The fourth boy I didn't raise from baby. Um, and what I've seen with those is that um, one of them is more, has more feminine traits okay. than the other. And, and he might be a good therapist, might be a better therapist than potentially the ones who have less obvious feminine traits, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's just a theory. I'm not saying that's a scientific mm-hmm. fact at all. Um, but I've seen that. I've yeah. seen that in, in the boys that I've raised, that um, you know, one of them at four months old, you give him a baby doll and he's beating it against the wall. Yeah. And the other one, you give him a baby doll and he's interested in playing with it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something, I mean, I thought when I had my first child that, that it was more nurture than nature. And I discovered that I was wrong. You think it's 50-50 or you think it's more well, nature? I don't. I don't. Wouldn't want to put a, a number on it, but <laughs> I definitely think it's both. I <laughs> yeah. definitely oh, think yeah. it's a mix of, of both, and that, you know, I might be able to impact it, but I mm-hmm. can only impact it so much. You can't permanently you know? change it. So right. you're into bipolar. What got you into that world? Because that is a huge, huge, huge thing. It's a huge thing. Um, I'm interested in it. It's a challenging subject, and I like challenges. Did someone close to you experience, like, or did you yourself, or did like, what's what's the the genesis of you being interested in bipolar? You know, it's if that's not too personal. It's it's a challenging. So I'm going to start with it's a challenging thing. Um, it's a challenging subject, and I like challenges. Mm. Um, my grandfather committed suicide. <sighs> uh, I didn't know that when I first became a therapist, mm. but I found out later, or maybe I found out in graduate school. I mean, when I, when I first chose to go to graduate school, I didn't know it. Mm. Um, and he had tuberculosis, mm. um, so that was when he decided, and I don't know how that happened, but in any case, he committed suicide. 
My brother, who was adopted and not genetically related to me, committed mm -hmm. suicide, and my son committed suicide. So um, people with bipolar disorder are much more likely to commit suicide. Absolutely. I suspect that my son had bipolar disorder. I'm fairly sure he did. I believe my brother did, even though he was never diagnosed. <clears throat> he had struggled with addiction, and the time that he was clean for the longest was in jail, and he asked to be kept in jail wow. because he didn't want to. He didn't want to get get out because he knew he'd relapse. That's wild. So mm -hmm. he didn't like using drugs, but he used them. He couldn't stop using them. That's he so. He wanted to stop and couldn't stop. Yeah. Um, he had. He he was. He did sound. I don't know if it's the same as what you're doing, different yeah. perhaps, but he traveled with a Grateful Dead. Oh, wow. And did sound. Yeah. Um, but he couldn't stop using drugs. That's so interesting. And his, he was adopted. His mother was an alcoholic and was mm. an alcoholic. In, he, he, was, he grew in utero in... Fetal alcohol syndrome? Pr probably, but probably. Not, vis, not visual, mm. not visibly noticeable. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's nuts. So then, what's what are your thoughts on suicide? Because I've developed developing my own religion, my own not religion, but my own right. spiritual beliefs that like belief I think are most applicable to me. I'm like, why should someone not kill themselves? Yeah. Because I well, mean, that's you, you that's, said it earlier. I mean, ooh, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? No. <laughs> ooh, what did I say? Yeah. Um, if you know, if you believe that people come back, if you oh, believe yeah. that there's more than one life to mm -hmm. live. And if you kill yourself, you're just going to come have to come back and do it again. Now, but what if I just did my best deed? And I'm like, all right, I'm cutting it off there. <laughs> you know, like, well, no. I mean, if if you don't believe, if you believe that there is no spiritual world, mm -hmm. then oh yeah, killing yourself. Then if you're it. having a miserable life and you end it, then it's over. Yeah, but I don't believe that. No. So, you know, so I believe that my brother is, and my grandfather and my son are going to come back. Cool. And they're going to have to do it again. Yeah. Uh, um, and perhaps it was a sacrifice for them to help some someone else in their family learn something. Mm -hmm. it, there's there's a bunch of different bunch of different ways you could frame it. But mm -hmm. I've been so interested in it because I mean I think Camus said that the, the one question the one greatest question in life is whether or not one should kill themselves. And hmm. I'm like because I mean at That's the end of the it's an interesting thing. And I'm like okay well why shouldn't someone kill themselves? And I'm like from my belief. Consciousness is everything. Energy itself mm -hmm. is consciousness. And just mm -hmm. once enough energy is all put together in a brain, you know, mm -hmm. we're like all of a sudden aware. Like, right. I don't know what age were you, did you become aware? Definitely not two. Well, right, right. You I know? Mean, yeah. But I think de depending. You might say 20s or 30s. I know. Or I just said 22. Like, I've been telling guests 20, and they're like, what does that mean? You woke up. Like, like it's like all cliche, well, but you do at some point. You wake yeah. up. Psychologically, when you're, when you're a child and growing up, your your awareness is what's outside you can't look you mm. don't have the ability to what we call meta analyze so you ah. can you can so that's why children will if their if their parents are fighting the child will blame themselves they'll think it's my fault i did this they're only aware of themselves they can't they can't step outside of their body and look at their body and go wow how come you're feeling this way mm -hmm. how come i'm feeling this way a child yeah. can't do that so somewhere in your 20s or early 30s 20s or late 20s somewhere in there you get to a place, cognitive, your de cognitive development gets to a place where you can actually sort of metaphorically step out of your body and look back at yourself. Mm -hmm. And you can l actually ask yourself why you're feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we may get a little bit of that in adolescence, 
but we don't really get to the point where we can do that until, until the first time someone taught us psychedelics. No, <laughs> that was a complete joke. Um, but, yes. <laughs> but, I, but, but so, so kind of going along with that, I'm like, okay, like I'm like, I'm here and I'm conscious. Why would I not want to be? I'm like, okay, well, everyone has bad days. The world's heading in horrible directions, all these things. Like mm -hmm. if I was in a horrible situation, would I want to? And I'm like, okay, well, if all consciousness is just a gathering of and concentration of energy, if I killed myself, there's no guarantee that that's the end of my consciousness in my body. That's right. You know, and that's, that's the right. scariest thought of all. That's Maybe right. it's the end of me being able to relay to you, hey, I'm in pain and need help. Right. So then what if I'm just kind of like, I just become this numbed, horrible feeling I'm left in that state until eventually all the energy I get eaten by cows and I'm growing up in tree and all this stuff. And it finally, <laughs> all the energy reassembles into me again. <laughs> right. Right. You know, well, that's a scary thought for yeah, me. So I'm like, oh, other man. Other things to think about are... Um, if you were to, if if you were to get to that place where you feel like you want to kill yourself and you did it, mm -hmm. you might not have wanted to the next day. I know. Well, that's the most people. Most people like they'll jump off a cliff or they'll jump off a building, mm -hmm. and then on the way to the the thing, they say they regret it, even though they can't. They're dead. They're going to die within the next couple hours. Like EMTs mm -hmm. and stuff will always say that's the worst right. thing is when someone killed themselves clearly and they say they wouldn't. That's why you should never to anyone never OD on uh, acetaminophen because you're guaranteed to die in three days from liver failure. Mm. But everyone regrets it halfway right. in. But you're guaranteed people to die. People regret it. So and oh. the other thing that happens is that oftentimes when people attempt to kill, forget about all the families that are feeling yeah. horrible left oh behind. Gosh. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I I certainly know that firsthand. Um, but Many people, when they try to kill themselves, they actually do themselves more damage. Interesting. Um, I saw you mean I, uh, attempted suicide? Yeah. Well, oh. right, because they, they right attempt to kill themselves and don't die. Um, I've had therapists tell me stories of clients who shot themselves in the in the in the mouth and <sighs> didn't die, so they lost a hunk of their. Oh man. I don't know how they survived, honestly, but yeah. they lost a hunk of themselves in the process. Um, and I knew I knew a, a client who overdosed Oof. and was in a coma for a week, and after that they had narcolepsy, wow. which is a disease where you can't stay awake. Mm -hmm. And so you have to take medicine to stay awake. Yeah, that's a. And so there's all these things that happen to people, and you know depends on what your spiritual beliefs are. From my beliefs, it would be it wasn't your time, and so you couldn't mm. you couldn't die because it wasn't your time. Yeah. Um. And so you had to live through it. Yeah. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing suicide is. Mm. But you also talk a lot about substances. Do you think the goal is to be completely substance free? I think it depends on the person. I mean, People do you, have you drink, do... is that coffee right there? No, that's, um, that's tea. Nice. Um, that's a, a coffee substitute that has herbs in it that are good for me. It has chicory and barley and, oh, nice. and uh, carob. I think I saw that at Fred Meyer's, the, the hippie section where it's like coffee, but it's like a mocha coffee, but it's mm -hmm. not coffee. This is called techino. Nice. Yeah. yeah that's and what I saw. I like it. I considered it, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't drink caffeine and, and cause it's a drug. It, Anything, it's a drug and it doesn't feel good. You're just to me. raw dog in life. You're going at it with no substances whatsoever. I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say a hundred percent, but no, like, I don't know, 98% or something, but yeah. that I would never tell somebody else that they had to do it that way. I think yeah. everybody needs to find their own way. And, mm -hmm. and so when people ask me questions on, on Cora, for example, um, you know, I encourage people to think before you, before you decide what kind of help you want to get to decide, you know, do you want help? Do you want the help from a doctor that's going to prescribe you medication or do you want help from someone who's not going to, who's not going to recommend medication? Yeah. And if you make that decision before you go, then you'll get the kind of help you want. Mm -hmm. 
and it's not up to me to tell you whether you should take antidepressants or not take antidepressants, but it might be valuable for you to know that it's not the only choice. And it barely beat the placebo. And it what? Barely beat the placebo. Right. Or I think SSRIs were like helped 40% and placebo helped like 33% or something. Something. The, so it's yeah. like, the really? statistics say it's, it's not very effective and the long-term results aren't very good. They do no. a lot of negative things as well as the positive that they may or may not do. Yeah. Well, another thing that I do on the show is I always say good is bad and bad is good. So like any good that you do now kind of does bad later. Like an example I haven't brought up is Ken Kesey tried to do so good by talking about LSD and bringing it out there. But the bad is it was probably made illegal because he promoted the tune in mm. drop out. Like he, mm. he caused the counterculture to be against the government, mm. which caused it to be illegal. Like any good that you do is bad or like, Someone, so do you think if somebody meditates, it's going to do bad later? <laughs> I don't <laughs> no, think so. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, well, whew, that's a really good point. I don't think any bad is good. I mean, any good, I don't think any good is bad. Although you don't think any good is bad. Here. There might be some things that are that like that, that so might have been. But. Everyone in India is starving at, in the, before the Green Revolution. Someone developed a fertilizer that makes it so they can get a lot more. And now not everyone's starving, but now the population booms to a place where it's at now. And then, you know, more eventually more people on the earth are going to be starving than mm. were before. So good helping people starving leads to more overpopulation. Now the world has way more people and we're all going to start starving because of fish declining or whatever. Like at what point is good bad? And then the bad of people dying. Because it depends good. on what you define as good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I don't think there's any bad that comes out of meditating. I, is meditating good or bad? I think it's neutral. I, I think, think meditating is. It is. Yeah. Well, it, I think it is. It you is, know, and it's it is a pro good. It progresses you, uh -huh. I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe it goes through the good and bad cycle. I think good and bad cycles are a progression yeah. more than anything. Whereas, like, they but both the act of meditating is a good thing to do. Yes. But that's also good very judgmental you. to say good what's for good you. and what's bad. Right. It's something that's good for you, right. good for the world. Yeah. What if Hitler meditated? Would that be good? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> what if he got better at killing Jewish people through Somehow meditating? Somehow I doubt meditating would have done that. <laughs> well, again, if someone's wired wrong and their goal in life is to exterminate people and they're meditating, they're like, oh my God, I can gas them with mm -hmm. Cyclone B. But meditating tends to make people more in tune with their feelings. And so if he got more in tune with his feelings, maybe he would have been more aware that it was actually making him feel bad to kill people, and then maybe he wouldn't have continued to do it. That was Gandhi's thought. I'm pretty sure Gandhi wrote him a letter that said, hey, you know this huge bad thing that's happening? Mm -hmm. You're the only person that could stop it. Right, there and you he, go. He probably is just like, Gandhi, yeah. what are you talking about, yeah. man? <laughs> right, but if he had meditated enough, yeah. maybe he would have gotten to a place where he actually tuned into his feelings and realized that, that when he was anxious, mm -hmm. he could get angry and he'd go kill somebody. Yeah. But if he meditated instead and was aware that it was this anxiety that was making him be, get angry and kill people, mm -hmm. maybe he wouldn't have actually killed people. So do you think violence and hate and stuff is always uncalled called for? Because I think a lot of people do. They say the only thing is love. Like no one should ever kill each other, hurt each other, anything. But I think mm -hmm. there, there are some forces in the world today that mm -hmm. that is not a viable answer to. Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because there's a there's a man who's trying to help me with um, getting my book out there in front of people. And, and yeah, in front of people. And he said the last time we met, he said your book is pro gun, and I was like, what? What? No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I I do fundamentally believe that love is the only answer, mm. and that you know that killing and and violence mm. are never the answer to anything. Um, and what I believe is that we don't have enough information, we don't have enough research to figure out how to take somebody like Hitler and re rehabilitate him. Mm -hmm. We don't have, we're not going at it in the right way. It's possible if we had more information, 
we could find a way to do it. Yeah. Um, and and the, the research on uh, sex offenders is really interesting. And, and I'm going to say it at my ability to remember it, given that I read it 20 years ago. So Whoa, this is yeah. like old information. I don't do a lot of this work anymore. But my recollection was that if you took somebody who had only offended once and you put him through sex offender treatment, which is about a three-year program, so mm-hmm. there's still a limit there, that he or she wouldn't offend for 10 years. Huh. Okay. If, and, it, and, it, and if you if they had offended more than that and you put them through sex offender treatment, they might not offend for three years. And, and these numbers might not be quite right, but it, there was like a, it, you, took, you could take that 100% and like divide it in five pieces. Then there were people that had offended a lot of times and yeah. multiple offenders, and we didn't have any treatment that worked on them. But yeah. that doesn't mean there isn't any treatment. Mm-hmm. It just means we don't have any yet. But at what point is a lost cause a lost cause? How much does it cost to house somebody in jail? Do you have any idea what that is? Or just to bury someone. Someone who <laughs> murders and eats kids. That's pretty disgusting. You should get rid of those people. Mm-hmm. And I am not yeah. being like, because then obviously some people go to jail unjustly or get killed unjustly. That's like, the problem. There's no easy answer right. with any there's of these no things. There's no easy answer. There's no easy answer. Um, and that that thing, you're, that person you're talking about is like the absolute yes, worst, right? 100. The absolute well, worst case scenario. That's the worst case. But compared to that, someone who fucks up someone's life by molesting them when they're young isn't that much behind killing a person, the kid, like okay. someone who permanently changes the kid's life. Except then what, what does that turn you into if you're the one that kills him? Yeah, so, I mean, some, if, some, if, some executioner's got to take one for the team. Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, I, th- and then there's how many topic. people get killed be- that didn't actually kill someone. Yeah. It just looked like they killed. How many people are in jail that aren't guilty? I know. So and any, mm-hmm. any stance you take on this, I think, is a good as bad situation. Any stance you take... Um, strengthens the other's point of view. And here's why I think <laughs> overall, when I look at Trump, I'm like, eh, bad is going to be good later on. Like he's doing a lot of bad. He's showing the weak points of the America. Like mm-hmm. that's the foundation. America's stronger than one man. He's not going to bring the right. world down. Right. But he's pointing out a lot of flaws. He's making it really obvious that like, how is this happening? Here's these things going on. And then with any luck, good will come in later. Right, right, and fix right. It. Absolutely. So, and I'm trying to believe that too. Yeah. And I, I have a, a, a friend who's a psychic medium and, and he says, we needed Trump to come in to yeah, I think he was necessary. teach something, to help us learn something. Mm-hmm. And, and I tend to believe that. Yeah. But those are, you're, you know, getting into really complicated, complicated issues yeah. where there is no one right answer. There's no and, one right answer. And, and that's something I'm trying to, uh, trying to approach in my book. I like um, it. As I'm, as I'm writing this series of apocalyptic fiction books. So you're writing the second book to this right I'm now. I'm writing the sequel right now. Same characters. Same characters. I and there, like there will be new characters as well, but yeah, yeah the same characters. And... And that's something that's going to be explored is, is this, is this the solution? Is the solution that we kill people? Is that the right solution? That's in this book? I don't think I, I, don't think <laughs> I did it one. well in the first book, although it is, it is talked about. There mm. is a point where it's talked about, like, is this the way we should do this? But I don't know that it's talked about well enough for it to be clear. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it will be talked about in the second book. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And how many is it going to be in the series? Three? It's a, it's a series of three. Nice. You have it all planned out. You have the plot planned out. Um, not not all the details of the yeah, plot, but absolutely. like the overall. What am I going to do in the second book, and the overall what's going to happen in the third book? Nice. It, it's in my head. That's yeah. wonderful. We just did a little over an hour, hour and ten minutes. I had an absolute pleasure talking to you. Do you have anything that you want to touch on before we just just briefly? Yeah, yeah I yeah, just want to. I mean, I have all the time in the world. <laughs> I was just like sometimes guests seem like they want might want to get out of here. Yeah. And need to, you know. I want to just remind people that um, the book Evasion 
is the first book in a series called the Considerable Destruction series. Mm. And that the author name that I use in the book is Erica L. Hernandez. It's my married name. And as a licensed clinical social worker, I'm Erica L. Freeman. Mm-hmm. And the I bring that forth because I also run a therapy group on Monday afternoons for people who are struggling with depression and mm. anxiety, potentially trauma and bipolar disorder. And groups often have openings because people tend not to stick with them for long periods of time. Cool. So it's also a support group, but mm. primarily it's a skills-oriented group. And I like it, it runs for 16 weeks. So it's Here in Eugene? Yeah, here in Eugene, right downtown. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, my office is on 1400 High Street. Cool. Freeman by day, Hernandez by night. That's right. I like it. Thank you very much for your time. I had a wonderful time. Just a reminder that uh, the launch party for Evasion will be at Tsunami Books uh, on Sunday, December 15th from 4 to 6. That's coming up. I'm going to be in Kauai for that, actually, so I won't be able to make it. I'm excited. I've never gone on a vacation. Oh, wow. So, or like by myself. Like, obviously, as a kid, like my parents would bring me on vacations, but me and and Kenzie are going to go to Kauai. We have no plans. We're going to do as cheap as we can. We just saved up enough money to buy a plane ticket. Wow. And then we're just going to maybe camp on the beach or. Wow. Yeah. Cool. And then I've everyone. I've never been I t- there either. I'd love to go there. But everyone who has been there and I tell this to, they're like, you're going to get rained on every day. Like everyone's just like, oh, you're yeah. going to get robbed. It's just so much fear mongering. Everyone just keeps giving me fear based shit. And if you believe that the bad things are going to happen, they probably they will. They do. Mm-hmm. I, I agree 100%. But. And if you believe that good things will happen, that's probably what will happen. Mm-hmm. Not 100% of the time, mm-hmm. but vast mm-hmm. majority. Well, so. again, how bad would anything be? I mean, if something bad happens, you probably some nice person will give you more camping supplies. And yeah. I love it. Thank you for talking to me today. I like I like you as a person. You, I you like got, you as a person, yeah. too. Thanks for having of, me here. Absolutely. Have a wonderful day, and I'm looking forward to the launch party. Mm-hmm.